a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But first, we start off with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're joining us on our Facebook live stream today, it is Wednesday, November 25th. Uh, please like and leave us a comment. And if you're joining us on shortwave, it's Thursday, November 26th. Up next, can or should Taiwan become bilingual in English? Then why Taiwan's being promoted as a destination for solo travelers? And how a Taiwan hospital is, is using art therapy to help people with mental illness. All that coming up next. Please stick around. Well, the government is nothing if not ambitious. I believe the date that they have set for us to become fully bilingual in Chinese and English is 2030. Is that That's right? Just 10 years. Right. 10 ah. years. That's a little bit fast. I'm glad that they are ambitious, though. We have a lot of ground to cover. That's, That's going to happen. true. And uh, just this week, President Tsai Ing-wen held a big meeting um, to consult with experts about this goal. And um, some of the goals, I don't think that they're going to really make it as a completely bilingual country. But yeah, she, yeah that's really difficult. As, I mean, that would require using <clears throat> English in your daily life every day, which I don't think the majority of people here do. That's right. But they are going to increase the funds for English education by a lot. They're going mm -hmm. to. She said she hopes that the English proficiency of the Taiwanese can improve over the next decade. Mm. So that's, we are fairly good, I think, generally speaking. You think so? Do you speak to people in English or Chinese, though? In Chinese, but uh, people... <laughs> um, People, I'm talking about like when you listen to, for instance, the president speak in English. Oh, well, our leaders, many of them are very well-spoken in English. Well, it's not just our leaders, though. I think there's a lot of people, doctors, for instance, who are very... That's true. Um, doctors, I think they study in English. All the uh, yeah. words and, you know, the Never diseases are always in English um, that we talk to them about. <laughs> I think generally speaking, there's a fair amount, but there is a lot of... Um, uh, misguided attempts, shall we say? At one uh, health center that I went to recently, there was a bunch of uh, a, a cabinet holding posters and you know uh, brochures for people to take, and it said "propaganda cabinet." <laughs> <laughs> they must have Google translated that. I right? think probably for, that's you know, what happened. Promotion or something, and it's propaganda. So, well, I th I still think we have a long way to go. I mean, um, when my kids were in the local elementary school, they were doing ABCs when they were six years old. That's a I mean, just ABCs, be, yeah, yeah, just just pretty much ABCs for the whole semester, you know. So <laughs> I should say though that in private uh, 
sort of cram schools where I once taught, uh, this happens much younger, like two and three. So right. I think that's why a lot of parents choose to send their kids to these after-school programs. Right. They do help. Um, they do help. Some people who don't even, you know, leave the country can speak fluent English. It may not be perfect, but mm-hmm. it's pretty good. But it's not the majority of the people, I would say. And no. so, so the president hopes that, you know, people in Taiwan can have a good English so they can connect to the world. And they can tell Taiwan, um, tell people about Taiwan, and they can also know more about the world. And I have to say, people in Taiwan, when they do this, always make a good impression. <laughs> Always, it always uh, it impresses me. Like when my parents come here, for instance, really, it always just they they do really? a solid job of it whenever they try. So, so actually, I think their English is better than they think it is. I would agree, generally speaking. A lot of them are shy about using English, right? Um, so, there's a few things that she's planning to do. Um, they're going to promote a bilingual education system. So, um, they're going to be pouring a lot more money into the hiring of foreign English teachers mm. the budget is going to increase from the current 200 million NT dollars to 2 billion that's quite an increase i wonder if this you is change jobs no i'm just kidding <laughs> well I, I doubt that it's going to the teachers directly but um, i wonder if this is a matter of just throwing money at a problem like learning a language is takes more than just money so I, well, I think that yeah, they need a lot still in willpower well and, you got to get convinced the kids to get on board if we're talking about kids well they have and to that's make another it. Mandatory, you know? Well, it is mandatory. The problem is, like, so another thing from my teaching days is once they hit, especially their teenage years, it's hard to there's teach no motivation. at that age. So um, They're also, this is interesting, they want to do an all-English TV channel, which we don't have yet. We should, we should they should, they we should, should be priority for that. They should ask us to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have, we have a few English TV um, newscasts for, like, 15 minutes. Mm. That's about it. So we're actually trying to provide great English content, um, you know, via... YouTube and, and Facebook, which we're doing right now, actually. Hi. <laughs> we hope. What do you think of our content? Anyway, hey. um, they also want to cultivate a friendly bilingual tourism environment for people visiting. Mm. So how did your, your parents do when they visited? Um, everyone is uh, super nice. And that's uh, something that impressed me on my first visit here is that's, uh, and like when my Taiwanese part, when we go home together and meet people, like Americans for the first time who don't know anything about Taiwan, immediately they fall in love with it. It just, it just, they're very good at presenting themselves. They just have to have the confidence to do it in English. The tourism thing I would agree with though, a lot of things are in either kind of not so great English or confusing English. What about traveling on the metro? Can you get by with just English? I think you sure, can, right? Sure, No, absolutely. But probably deeper on the bus lines or to places that may not have an English name. Yeah. That may be a little bit more difficult. Probably. So they're working on that. I mean, I think that's good news for travelers and for young people, for the future of the country. I really do yeah. hope it goes through. And we do have a few people who are saying hello to us. Who want to say hello? Ivan Dai. Hello. Hello. And also Nilak Kandan, Vizwanathan. Doctor studying in English in Taiwan instead of Chinese. Well, I think a lot of their medical um, terminology they study in English. I don't know about, about whether they study in English. I or think not. they do both. So, because whenever I ask them, whenever I go to the doctor and ask, "Can you tell me the English name?" They can say it, and it's really complicated. Yeah. So I think they've studied in English. Um, and M. Jamal Ahmed Sabarno says hello. So and Jendalari. Oh, she says. I think all those bilingualism goals are great. Growing up in Texas, it was neat seeing a lot of Spanish signage around and even 
Spanish TV stations in many cities and made life easier as there are places in Texas where Spanish is a first language and helped mm. me pick up some minor Spanish here and there. That's fun. Yeah. And I think it's great to have a second language around. Sure, sure. Um, and I'd, I'm glad that, uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know that we need to make it an, an officially bilingual country. I don't think we're ever going to be like Singapore or something like well, that. Well, it'd be nice if we could, right? It so. would be nice, but I think, you know, um, maybe not the most necessary, but I think you're right. When it comes to like, you know, catering for visitors, especially, that's a, a good, a good uh, skill set to have. So we're moving in that direction. I don't know if 2030 is realistic. <laughs> Do you think 2030 is realistic? 10 years, Well, I think man. that, you know, I think Tainan actually, it, William Lai, um, our vice president, is actually the one who started this campaign when he was premier. And when he was mayor of Tainan, he wanted to make that the first uh, bilingual city. So mm. I think that many of their official documents are bilingual now. Right, right. So it takes a lot of work, but I think he got it rolling in his city, and then now he wants to make it a national thing. So it may take more than 10 years for it to really seem bilingual. Yeah. But at least we're moving in that direction. Sure. Well, it's a start anyway. Well, regardless of whether there's someone there who can speak English, uh, traveling pretty much anywhere in Taiwan as a solo traveler from overseas is a pretty pleasant experience. Uh, but why solo travelers in particular? Why is this being a... Well, let me tell you, first of all, we won an award, our Tourism Ooh. Bureau, with um, a, a, another media company, Black Buddha, that they worked with, did a travel you know, ad for Taiwan, and it was called Taiwan, the perfect solo travel destination hmm. for culture and small towns. And I'm going to put the link to the video okay. here in a minute, but it's, it's a really cute video. There's this girl who seems to have a little bit of um, time, a layover time, maybe like half a day or something hmm. in Taiwan and she doesn't know what to do so and it just it, it maps out she did like four things in the morning and then I won't tell you the end of the video what happens <laughs> <laughs> but she went to really some really cool places to the top mm. of a mountain and to this really artsy place where she got to do some art herself get her hands dirty Ooh, and all um, during a layover yeah temple she went to pray and you know she did all this in just a few hours and on her own she's a, a foreign lady with blonde hair so it means mm. like she didn't know Chinese or anything and she got um you know, along fine everywhere she went. Yeah. And it was it was a cute ad. I like the ad. <laughs> it got the point across. It makes you want to stay in Taiwan and right. appreciate it. Well, how about you? What were you like when you first got here the first time? Were you a traveler? I got here. I was uh, going to be a student. A, a student at a, a student? Chinese summer school program. And was it easy to find your way around in terms of the culture, in terms of small towns? So I'd, had a, few, I'd had a few go. years of Chinese, so it was kind of okay, but um, it was... I Probably very okay. Well, no. You, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I had people take me around, so I was... Well, people like to that. do that in Taiwan, right? Right, exactly, exactly. People are so friendly. They love to take you to their homes or to their hometowns. Um, but Taiwan is a great place to travel. Um, we have really convenient uh, public transportation that takes you throughout the island. We have trains, we have high-speed rails, we have metros, and mm. you can also go cycling. You know, um, cycling is a great way to get around any city, and we have so many cycling paths. Mm, Taipei especially. And we have all kinds of culture, like old towns. We have um, 
temples and, and mountains and oceans and lots of different kinds of uh, food. So there's so much to see and do here. And it's pretty dense. It's just not a big island. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that all small towns are accessible. Like some of the best gems in like Hualien or Taidong on the East Coast, you probably have to plan ahead a little bit. But uh, if a lot of what you can see, like in the ad, is right near the airport, actually. You don't have to go that That's far. That's true. Yeah. So she it took her like three hours to do lots of really fun stuff. I'm sure next time she'll want to stay. <laughs> That's <laughs> not right. just the way over. So I will put the link to that video. That's uh, what right happens. Here. Taiwan sucks you in. <laughs> Now, since we were just talking about cycling around Taiwan, uh, we should also mention that we are a big producer of bicycles. That's right. Have you guys heard of Giant or Meridian? So those are the main um, brands coming out of Taiwan. And um, Taiwan, I think, has about 70% of the global mid to high end bicycle market. Really? Yeah. That much? That much. So, you know, we're doing very well in terms of bicycles. And we're also, um, not Meridian, sorry, Merida. And um, we also are having some new brands called Dizo, D-I-Z-O, then V-E-S-V, and Volando. So those are really big in the road bike industry. So those are some of our leading brands and up and coming brands. So we're doing very good in terms of uh, all kinds of bikes, actually. And... Road bike exports are about 20 to 30% of our bicycle exports. And mountain bikes are about 60% of the exports to the U.S. Oh, wow. It's most so, the U.S. market then, I guess. Yeah, so we bikes. have a lot of, you know, great bikes going out into the world. Um, and Taiwan's government has really made an effort to, to uh, you know, um, build lots of bike trails throughout the island. You can actually literally cycle around the island. Oh, I have a friend who's done it. It's really? A, for some people, especially hardcore cycle, well, not even necessarily the most hardcore. It's a, sort of a rite of passage. A lot of young people do it. I so. would love to do it, actually. But it might be tiring, but it sounds like something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love to in some way, but I, yeah, it's kind of hard. Apparently, it's a real, even for people who've grown up and spent their whole lives here, it's a real experience. Like, right. It's a different I mean, way of... You can see the whole island, right? A lot of it's along the coast or near the mountains, and they're you know, paths that are mapped out for you. So, and we have a lot of great paths, even just in Taipei along the river. Have you ever gone cycling? True. I have actually. Um, The riverside, because I think they tend to flood, especially during a typhoon or something. So they've sort of walled them off and on either side. Oh, that's true. You have to find the right entrance way. But once you get in, it's beautiful. It's a long stretch. The whole riverside is undeveloped so that when it rains, it's it's not going to, because the river does rise. But then when the rest of the time, it's free for recreation for people to use. There's basketball courts and other things. Uh-huh. Too. There's a big park. I mean, it's all green and there's no cars and and then there's um, cycling routes. So it's a really great way to enjoy the city. I think you can cycle all across the city, too, just using this network of different parks because they link up at different points right. following various rivers. So that's something definitely to do in Taiwan. If you can't do it in Taiwan, you can buy a Taiwan bike. That's true. I've cycle heard, where you are. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a cyclist really myself, but I've heard good things about giant bikes in particular. Well, people, a lot of people like giant bikes. Yeah, people who do cycle have told me that, oh, they're really great. And, and I like, oh, love cycling. I know it's where they're made. really <laughs> nice. Yeah, so we have a really great industry here, and we have a lot of um, great uh, cycling paths here. Well, it's good to know that we have new upcoming brands, too, because I'd only heard of Giant before. 
Uh, so yeah, Merida, and then also Volando. Keep so that in mind. Volando, Bezo, and. B-E-S-V. Maybe some of our hardcore bikers out there will have heard of them. Let us know, if so, in the comments. Well, uh, the Qimei Medical Center and Museum in Tainan, in the south of Taiwan, uh, is looking to help people in that part of the, the country regain their confidence through art therapy classes, especially people who uh, have mental illnesses. Uh, apparently, according to a uh, local public bureau's senior specialist, uh, there are close to 10,000 people in the city of Tainan who are actually under supervision because of mental illness. And they, it's thought that they people? might close to 10,000 city wow. residents. It's thought that as a city of a million or so people, I'm not wow, exactly that's sure, a lot but of um, either I guess because they are thought to pose a threat to themselves or others. And there's a stigma that goes with that. And it says here it's blown out of proportion, especially with some sensationalized media reports sometimes. Um, so this, this medical center is, has planned special art therapy classes. And apparently by tailoring them to the needs of the students, they've, as they put it in this article, hit it off right away. They're actually really enjoying themselves. Oh, so what kind of art are they doing? This is really interesting because it's not just art that they're doing themselves. There's painting and origami, but there's also art restoration. They're teaching seven art, which is a very serious, I mean, that can go wrong very easily. (laughs) <laughs> you got to be careful with what you're, right. you're dealing with. So I'm not sure what kind... Well, the Jime Museum, which I think is affiliated with the uh, medical center, is a major art museum. So maybe they're training future restorers. Ooh, they have a collection of uh, very serious art from around the world. Um, and so what they've had to make some adjustments. Uh, there's, they said they simplified instructions and extended practice time, but that this seems to have worked out. The doctors and the... the uh, People receiving the art therapy are both happy with it, it seems. Um, Because it says, in particular, they're talking about people who have schizophrenia. And it says that among uh, the symptoms are difficulty expressing emotions. And art is a wonderful way for them to do this non-verbally. That's true. It's a very safe way to do it, right? Right. Uh, They don't need language. And they say that what they've noticed is that students' self-esteem has improved. And they've gotten a confidence to return to society. That's great. That's, you know, actually, I did a documentary. That's what I was thinking of when yeah, I saw this story. about um, mental illness in teens. And there's also a, I guess, a center, you know, in Taipei that's very similar that kids who have a serious mental illness, you know, so serious that they can't go to school. So they put them here during the day and they have art therapy. They have mm. music therapy where they learn how to play different instruments. They sing. Um, they draw, they paint. They also have um, horticulture therapy, wow. so they garden. So all of this really helps them to uh, either express their emotions or to be able to uh, release their emotions in very safe ways. Right, right. And even I know that um, some social organizations that are helping, let's say, I did another um, documentary on human trafficking victims. So people who've been victims of violent crimes also use art therapy to help them uh, deal with their emotions in a safe way, to express them, to to draw them or to sing about them. And it releases, I think, a lot of, you know, those, the toxic emotions that are inside of you Mm -hmm. in a a very safe way. And sometimes they get good at what they do too. And they feel good about themselves when they see what they've done. Might even go professional, or at least it says, I mean, I'm very surprised about the art restoration part. That's That's interesting. interesting. I mean, that's a little... I've not heard of that before. That sounds like it takes years of training to do that sort of thing. 
thing, right? So actually, they are learning new skills. Right. So this is also uh, a way to build self-confidence. So it looks like there are 17 courses that they have so far. I don't see anything wow. here about, about horticulture or music therapy, but that's actually, uh, well, we have that. That's in Taipei, you said? Yes. So this yes. seems to be a, a sort of a growing thing in Taiwan. Well, I think it's great that there's more attention to uh, mental health issues because mental health is just a part of our health, mm -hmm. but um, it gets neglected here in Asian society because I know that it, a lot of people suppress their feelings or they live in traditional households where um, parents may be harsh on them and, you know, or they have a lot of pressure from school and they don't have outlets such as, you know, sports or music to deal with their emotions. So it's, they just stuff it inside. I think compared to some of our, our neighbors, though, uh, Taiwan is pretty open about these things and is a... Uh, that's true. I think... Move, very innovative in, in applying true. these sorts of therapies. So um, Taiwan is actually uh, pretty progressive in Asia in, in many ways and mm -hmm. on many fronts and mental health is one of them. It's one of them. It looks like some of our listeners have been writing in about a, that our discussion. That is. Yes. Let's um, say, let's see. Islam Raza says beautiful and Jen Delari says, mm, let's see. oh, she's talking about her biking. <laughs> oh, sorry, we got a bit ahead of ourselves Okay, here. so she says, I'm hoping to sometime in the next few years to visit Taiwan. I'm looking forward to seeing what's out there. One of the things I'd like to do on my vacation is take a day out to see what the locals visit and where they eat. Yes, it's important to go where the oh. locals eat. Oh, they'll uh, show you. They'll and, show you. Yeah, ask around, they'll show you. Being a tourist is nice, but seeing what's every day is nice too. And she had a bike. Um, she said, mine was an old huffy mountain bike with red tires. I got when I was about seven. I'd explore the woods around my house with it. Oh, that's Aww. nice. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great to hear um, from people. I don't know if you guys have experience with art, you know, or music. Art therapy. Too, or th art therapy. Well, I mean, just even in general, like, uh, you know, I'm learning an instrument, actually. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Which I one? don't tell many people. Oh. A piano. I was going to say because I'm not really good or not. It's not a good yet, but it really is a good way to de-stress. Oh. And sometimes I pick songs that you know have certain meanings to me that can help me relive maybe happy memories or you know deal with whatever I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's a way. It's, it is kind of therapeutic, you know, if you're stressed out or if you're tired, and then you just do this and you feel relaxed yeah. and you feel better too. I'm I'm glad to hear that um, it's not because um, this this. Uh, article makes a point of mentioning sensationalized media reports and the way that that affects people's that's right oh, the view I, of we did talk about that in in my documentary and a lot of people have the view that maybe you know they're crazy or, or dangerous dangerous which is actually usually the opposite people with mental illness usually are the ones who have been victims of some sort and they right. tend to put their pressure inward so that's why they have you know depression or other issues so right. usually those with mental illness are not violent and and not you know dangerous and it says in reference to schizophrenia in specific uh, specifically in addition to difficulty expressing emo expressing emotions which we just talked about there's also reduced motivation um lack of interest decreased socialization which are actually more than anything else it says here the main barriers to returning to work or school so art therapy can right. lift people up. Yeah, actually, I, th I remember actually asking um, all those students, you know, who are in the center, what did they want most? And they just wanted people to treat them like normal people. Um, they wanted a friend, <laughs> you know, just well, something simple art, like that. Art class is a great way to meet people, too. So. That's true. Um, it says that uh, hopefully with this therapy, and I'm not sure if there are other hospitals around Taiwan doing this or not, uh, it'll... 
It says here, nourish people's souls, help with peace of mind, and bring happiness to the individuals, but also their families. That's nice. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. We thank everyone who joined us on our Facebook live stream for leaving comments. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Natalie So. And if you're joining us on the radio today, stay tuned because in just a moment, we'll be taking you over to Hashtag Taiwan Highlights and in the Spotlight. Welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. In this week's show, we're going to be talking about a news TV station trying to renew its broadcasting license. Sounds boring, doesn't it? But in reality, people have been watching this renewal process for a long time. Why? Because the TV station in question is called CTI News. They're known for being quite outlandish and outspoken, and most importantly, they're pro-China, which runs contrary to the policy of the current administration of Taiwan. In fact, during Taiwan's most recent presidential election, this news station became somewhat notorious for giving a lot of skewed coverage to one of the candidates. Anyway, these are all details that we'll get into during this week's Hashtag Taiwan coming up next. Don't go away. In a previous episode of Taiwan Insider, Andrew Ryan broke down political leanings of Taiwan's biggest media outlets. Today, our story will focus on one of those outlets, the TV station on the far right, CTI News. CTI is on the blue end of the spectrum. That means it supports the opposition KMT. But notice it also has a red star. That's because CTI is pro-China. CTI is owned by the Wang Wang Group, which also owns the China Times newspaper. The chairman of Wang Wang is Tsai Yanming, a businessman who's very politically active and advocates for China-Taiwan unification. CTI was criticized during Taiwan's presidential election for giving disproportionate coverage to the KMT candidate Han Guoyu. Taiwan's National Communications Commission says CTI dedicated as much as 70% of its airtime to the pro-China candidate. CTI's coverage on Han Guoyu wasn't the only thing that NCC took issue with. 
In July 2019, it fined CTI 51,000 US dollars for disseminating fake news and not having proper fact-checking measures in place. In recent months, CTI has been in the spotlight because its broadcasting license is set to expire on December 11th. That meant the company needed to renew its license with the NCC. In the past, renewing a license was a matter of doing paperwork. However, for the first time ever, the NCC held a public hearing for whether or not to renew CTI's license. On Wednesday, the NCC announced that its seven commissioners voted unanimously not to renew CTI's license. The NCC said that CTI had a poor record during its last license period. CTI was responsible for more than 30% of all the complaints it received for television channels. It went on to say that CTI infringed on the NCC's rules 25 times over the past six years, 23 of which resulted in fines totaling 400,000 US dollars. One of the reviewers pointed out that CTI does not have the mechanisms in place to reply to viewer complaints. Furthermore, CTI has been fined multiple times for the same offenses, meaning their internal review system is lacking. I think it's important to mention President Tsai Ing-wen's administration advocates Taiwanese sovereignty, so they're at odds with CTI. Many speculate that the NCC's decision to shut down CTI was political revenge. Immediately following the announcement, CTI News posted this to its Facebook page. It said, the Thai administration has shut down CTI News. Freedom of press is dead. Rick Lin responded to that thread with, No need to worry that CTI is gone. We still have ET News and TVBS. If you're confused about that, then just go back to Andrew Ryan's chart. But some responses to Lin's comments say that both of those channels have switched allegiances. The KMT also responded on Facebook. It called on the NCC to give concrete reasons why it didn't renew the license for CTI News. It went on to say that the party is worried that CTI's closure is a slippery slope that will threaten freedom of press. The DPP said on Facebook that it will respect the decision of the NCC and emphasized that the commission is an independent government entity. The pro-independence Taiwan State Building Party posted this picture. Judging from the confetti, I'm sure you can tell how they feel about the issue. The NCC's announcement pretty much shuts down the station. But if we go back to Andrew Ryan's chart, we see that there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 other major news outlets in Taiwan. But let's be real, you only need one. Because that's where I am. Now, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Hashtag Taiwan, and as always, I encourage you to check out the original video, which you can find on the Taiwan Insider Facebook page or the Radio Taiwan International YouTube. Now, Taiwan Insider is a weekly news magazine produced by Radio Taiwan International. If you like Hashtag Taiwan, odds are you'll like Taiwan Insider. Anyway, until next week, I'm Leslie Liao. U.S.-Taiwan ties have actually improved a lot in the last four years of the President Trump administration in the U.S. That's right. Taiwan is very happy about that. But now they're nervous because Joe Biden is elected. They don't know what to expect. Now, we've actually talked with a lot of different analysts to see what they have to say about the next four years. But we wanted to talk to someone who is a Washington insider, and you actually did that recently. That's right. I spoke with a former Pentagon official who served during the Obama administration. He was a top official in charge of Asia policy, and he knows a lot of people on the Biden team. Derek Mitchell is currently the president of the National Democratic Institute, and he gave us some insight into what their team is thinking about Taiwan and China.
Well, first, thank you again for for uh, inviting me on. Uh, I don't represent the Biden administration. I can't speak for what they're going to do. I'm sure they're putting together their plans right now. But I do know the folks that are are leading the effort on Asia, and I can say with confidence that um, that they're very clear eyed about the issue of uh, Asia and particularly about the China challenge. I think there is not entirely a discomfort with the hardening of that the attitude of of the Trump administration. But I think they will uh, moderate the tone a bit um, and look more to work with allies. Well, what about Taiwan? How do you think the Biden administration will um, deal with its relations with Taiwan? Taiwan is a perfect example of uh, a place that is consistent with the values of the United States and the values of a more secure and stable world. Taiwan as a beacon of democracy in Asia, uh, as a strong society, as a net uh, grantor of public goods in how uh, Taiwan has dealt with COVID, how it's not only dealt with it at home, but also helped others in exporting masks and other values. Taiwan is a success story, and I know the Biden administration recognizes that, and that the protection of what makes Taiwan great is very important, but not just as a factor. I think this is very important, not seeing it simply through the lens of China, Mm. Uh, which is a traditional way that I think even the Trump administration has done. sees it just simply through the lens of a China challenge. Taiwan in its own right stands on its own for what it contributes to the world and and the success that it is. And I think the, the Biden administration will recognize that and seek to find ways to bring, to showcase that and to bring Taiwan out and try to help them have greater standing and greater provision of, of those public goods to the international community. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Amanda Harvey is from Australia, but she has been in Taiwan for 17 years. She is the founder of You and Me Taiwan, which is a platform for connecting groups of people, companies, and individuals within Taiwan to help them with international communications, team building, creative thinking, etc., etc. Amanda is also a communications coach and a counselor in mindset training. Last week, she was talking about her life before Taiwan. Today, we're going to begin with more in-depth understanding of mindset training. Yeah, so besides you and me, Taiwan, you've got this part, uh, it's mindset training. That, of course, also involves communicating. Absolutely. But mindset makes me think of like, you know, just what they're thinking in their mind. Yes. And you're helping them kind of organize their thoughts or something? <laughs> well, mindset, basically the way that I would define mindset is the um, set patterns and habits of belief and thought that people have about themselves and about the world in general. So, you know, the things that people think that they are or aren't good at, the things that people believe are possible for themselves um, or that are possible in general, I think all is a really important part of mindset. 
And it's also about attitude. So, you know, whether someone generally has a more positive kind of optimistic attitude or tends to see the negative side of things. But specifically, it's what people believe to be true. I'm probably going to be jumping around a lot because I've got That's all these fine. questions, you know, or questions in my mind. <laughs> I can try um, some jumping too. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe because I've never really taken like self-improvement kind of classes. Right. I, I, I guess I couldn't really imagine what that is like. I mean, in the right. actual workshop itself. Right. When you do them on Zoom, how many students to to one teacher? That, it, that's, it varies. It varies. Um, it definitely varies. I've what, tried, you just said something about 50. Uh, that is actually what I've done more in person. Right. With okay. a group of 50. Now with Zoom, you can't do um, 50, right? Well, you technically can, but so far yeah. I haven't. This yeah. is actually stuff that I'm really just kind of playing with at the moment, seeing yeah. what kind of configurations work, yeah. um, whether small groups are better, whether it does work for bigger groups. But I do think that what I'm actually doing with my mindset training, the focus that I have at the moment is actually could work with really any number of people because mm. it's actually for people to work individually with me guiding them. Mm -hmm. So giving them a set of questions to go through and getting them to actually think about their answers and then to think about ways in which this is helping them or not helping them. Mm -hmm. And then the parts that are not helping them, how they can actually start to make those particular areas of their thinking or their mindset, how to gradually begin to change those because it is definitely a gradual process. It's not that somebody's going to go from thinking I'm a failure to thinking, you know, the world is my oyster yeah. overnight. That's a really big jump. Um, but for someone that feels that things are not going the way that they want them to in some particular area, for them at least to then go through some steps of at least believing that it could be possible for them to be more optimistic and for things to go a little bit more the way that they would like them to go. Mm. So just gradually helping them to retrain their thinking um, to so, be more optimistic. So these clients, they don't just take one workshop with you. I mean, it's a continuous no. kind of thing. Yes. Well, I've actually, I did for a few years, um, a few years ago, I had an online life coaching business, mm. which was working um, one by one oh, with yeah. people. I, yeah, I figured. And I really loved doing that. Mm. And the people that I worked with really loved the work that we did together. And that was something that was a really nice part of my career at that stage. What I found at that time was that my kids were younger and doing that. And then also I was getting more demand for doing things in person, not only in Taiwan, but also around Asia. So I felt that it was a little bit hard to try and juggle everything. So mm -hmm. at that point, I shut down my life coaching site. Oh, I see. Um, but now this year, especially because of the pandemic and not having as much travel available or not doing as much in-person face-to-face um, -face work as what I was doing, say, a year ago, I actually decided to start a new um, website and a new online um, training business. Uh, and life I decided, coaching, you mean? Well, to actually not do life coaching is very broad. And I decided okay. to make it a little bit more specific this time and to actually focus on the thing that I'm most interested in and I think is most important is kind of at the basis of really, I think, everything, which is people's mindset oh, okay. um, and people's beliefs about things yeah. and to work with them specifically on that. So not, not necessarily helping them to figure out what is the best career for them, but helping them 
them to get to the place where they actually can um, use their own thought processes in a more productive way. Can you talk about one particular example, maybe like, yes. um, can I say a success case? A su- yes, a yeah, success in Taiwan. Case. In Taiwan, talking about um, mindset training or talking about anything. Okay, um, well, basically working with a group of teachers who um, are actually teaching English and for them to get to the point where they were much more confident in their teaching abilities, getting better results from their students, um, even classroom discipline, they were able to handle that better after I did this training program with them. You're talking about Taiwanese teachers teaching English? Yes. yes. And they're like what, uh, elementary school teachers or? Yes, they are. elementary school. Wow. Okay. So that was one particular example. And education is actually something that I really am quite passionate passionate about as well, because I think that teaching kids, and I think, you know, it just all kind of ties in together. As you mentioned, Taiwan has the goal of becoming um, a bilingual country. And I think that, you know, giving people, especially kids, the opportunity to actually use their English more and Mm. to create, you know, more realistic situations for them and just making it practical, making it something that they can actually connect with. What's it been like teaching Taiwanese people and what kind of clients are you getting mostly? That are coming to you and, you know, opening up workshops with you and well, I've done this a, benefit from you. I've worked with a variety of people in really, a, in really a lot of different types of areas, wow. um, ranging from technology to healthcare. And they um, come to you. They know about you. They come to you. I, I mean, you didn't have to I approach also, them. No, I do also okay. sometimes connect with people to introduce my company because I think that my company is not necessarily all that well known yet. Uh-huh. And so it's no point having a really fantastic service that I can offer if nobody knows that it exists. So I think it's important for me to also connect with people, meet people, let people know what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But I think that as time goes by, and what I've found in the past is that when people get to know about you, and then they will tell other people oh, about yeah. it as well. So I think that it does take time. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. What's your impression of Taiwan? It's um, a lot of things, really, Shirley. Uh, I think, you know, the biggest thing is the people. Taiwanese Mm. people are amazing. I mean, they're just friendly and they're warm and they're inclusive. And I find overall non-judgmental that they will accept people and not necessarily make, you know, have preconceptions about somebody based on where they're from. From the first moment that I arrived in Taiwan, and I didn't come to Taiwan with any long-term plan. I came here (laughs) to see my husband and I, having been in various different countries, we were like, let's try Taiwan. (laughs) And I arrived. And um, the first moment that I got out of the airport and, you know, other than noticing the intense humidity, what I noticed was just a really warm and and friendly feeling, family-oriented. I think that's Another thing that I really like about Taiwan is that it's a very family-oriented yeah. place. How, how, uh, how, do you, how do you sense that? 
family oriented. I just noticed that, you know, all ages of people interact really well with each other, that it's oh. not. And that's something I noticed just from my early days in Taiwan is that, you know, teenagers taking care of their parents or grandparents and grandparents taking care of little children. Oh. And so it is really like a warm family kind of feeling and very inclusive. Right. I like feel. living under the same roof with your in-laws kind yes. of thing, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Which... It doesn't know. always, it work doesn't always for work. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a, a Taiwanese mother-in-law, so I'm okay there. <laughs> I believe that can be challenging, like in any culture. Yes, yes, it's true. Oh. It's true. But yeah, the yeah. people definitely, I think, okay. you know, are one of the things, and just just the feeling, the atmosphere. I have felt, you know, since I've been in Taiwan, that it's just been a really nice place to be. It's quite relaxed. People are not, you know, they're not that serious a lot of times about things. Like they, um, I think, you know, just the relaxed style as well. I came before Taiwan. I was in Seoul in South Korea. Uh-huh. And that's very, very fast paced. And, mm. you know, people are very serious overall. And um, just even the style of clothing. I mean, I like quite a relaxed lifestyle. And in Seoul, people are dressed up and made up, you know, to the, the max. Uh-huh. You I've know, not you been need to Seoul yet. Yeah. You need to put on your three inch heels just to walk down to the convenience store, <laughs> <laughs> like an inch of makeup. Um, Apparently, and, Japan's like that too. Yeah, yeah, right. I think yeah, Korea. I noticed especially there is very, very um, uh, appearance conscious, uh-huh, and, you know, uh-huh. and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it can be really nice and stylish, and but I think for me, Taiwan is a little bit more relaxed, and I feel that I don't have to be so um, necessarily so formal all the time. I can just be more myself. Oh, that is so neat. Maybe some kind of comparison to Australia as well. Uh, yeah. I I feel that that Taiwan and Australia have some things in common, just being fairly relaxed and uh, the people being quite friendly and helpful. What about the food and everything? Is that all? Of that's course, all I love the food. <laughs> <laughs> the food is great. <laughs> I've always loved Asian food. Even really? when I lived in Australia, I actually prior to leaving Australia, I lived really close to Chinatown, and I used to eat Chinese food like at least three times a week. Oh, <laughs> and it's funny, but that's one of the things when I was living in Portugal, I missed good. Chinese food. Oh, <laughs> I really did. Yeah. They, at that time, I mean, that was 20 years ago, there was no good Chinese food. We found one Chinese restaurant in Portugal and it was terrible. It was like <laughs> nothing like what I'd had before. So, you yeah, tried to learn Chinese cooking? Um, I'm not a cook. My husband oh. is a great cook. Um, oh. and he can cook all different <laughs> kinds of styles. He does, really? basically, he does kind of a fusion of a lot of different things. Oh my goodness. Um, not a typical uh-huh. um, style of any particular one oh. nationality but yeah, uh, yeah. Well, well I think we don't need to cook Chinese food because we can go out the door and eat fabulous I food know. everywhere here that's the other thing the convenience here yes. in Taiwan right really convenient yeah. yes yeah having the population I mean the population of Taiwan is basically the same population as Australia but we are spread <laughs> out so far yes. <laughs> you've just got to go a really long way for anything in right. Australia I mean yeah. in the cities not as much but right. still it's just here is really convenient. Yeah. And the opening hours too. I mean, 
you can buy anything at any time in Taiwan. That's right. In Australia, when I was there, and it may be a little different now, but you know, there were closing times. Like if you wanted to shop after six, there are 24 hour supermarkets and things yeah. like that. Okay. But a lot of shops will close at six o'clock. Oh, really? In the evening. So, oh, wow. Yeah. What advice do you have to Taiwanese people in terms of, you know, your specialty? Yes. Right? Or what have you seen mm-hmm. in Taiwanese people? Mm-hmm. And what, what areas do you see probably needs improvement that mm-hmm. people, Taiwanese people can do better? I think one thing really is to develop confidence. And that's easier said than done. But I think that a lot of Taiwanese people, even who have a lot of expertise in their particular fields, don't always have the confidence to communicate that. And I know that part of that is language skills. Um, that it's not necessarily that easy to come across as professional. Even if you have knowledge, it's like if you asked me to talk about my specialty in Chinese, it would be way, way harder for me to do that. I wouldn't probably do a very good job at all. But just to believe in their own abilities, to have the confidence even to just speak up and, and, you know, to really try and, and make yourself understood whether or not you think that you can express yourself perfectly or not. But I do think that just daring to actually speak up and be heard. Um, I do think it's a cultural thing as well. And sometimes that can be a little bit of an obstacle in dealing in the international kind of arena, because in Taiwanese culture, it's not really a done thing to to kind of toot your own horn, so to speak, Uh to talk about how great you are at something. Whereas in Western culture, we do a little bit more of that. You know, oh. we're not shy in, in actually expressing. Oh, it's actually know, the shyness, we, right? Yes, shyness, that issue I think, there. definitely. Yeah. yeah, shyness yeah. can really be a question. So how can people find you? I mean, do you have a website? The best ways for people to contact me would be maybe to send me a request on LinkedIn. Amanda Harvey in Taiwan. I think there's a lot of Amanda Harveys in the world, oh. but I might be the only one in Taiwan. Thank you, Amanda. Shirley, thank you so much much. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.